Welcome everyone to episode 28 of Popcorn Peeps, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. In this episode, we are discussing the 1976 political drama based on the novel of the same name. Oh, I didn't say the name of the movie though. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) The movie is called All the President's Men and the book that it was based on was written by two reporters who would become the main characters of the film, Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. The film portrays the two reporters' response to what would become known as the Watergate scandal. The film was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry in 2010 and was nominated for a plethora of other awards. Today I am joined by Editor-in-Chief Sarah Alexander. When the president does it, that means it's not illegal. (laughs) Espionage expert Craig Moore. I'm an espionage expert. It's true. Where'd you hear that? Uh, That's not true. Your Twitter bio. (laughs) (laughs) I read it there. It must be true. It was on the internet. You can't lie on the internet. And political saboteur, Chris McMullen. It didn't make a sound, Chris. Hello. Oh, there we go. (laughs) One time Chris didn't say hello, and I had to scalp a hello from an earlier episode to splice it in. (laughs) So we just finished watching All the President's Men. What are your initial impressions of this film? Really switched gears from last movie. Yeah, definitely a different tone, much more serious. Was this enough of a palate cleanser for you, Chris? It was definitely a change of pace. <laughs> uh, I thought the movie was all right. I did have some problems with it, but overall I did enjoy the story it told. I thought it felt like a lot like Seven without all of those grotesque scenes. You got these two investigators, reporters, but essentially investigators, kind of unraveling this grand scheme. I, it was nice though, because I got all of that police intrigue without having to see anyone's insides. So that was really cool. I want you to take this um, exactly from the spirit in which it's intended. Shut your whole mouth. <laughs> Sarah's grandma is not going to be happy with you. Wow. I'm interested to find out why Chris feels so strongly. How dare you compare those two movies? Oh, spoiler. Well, they are both on the list, and that is kind of our job. I can see where Jordan's coming from because it had that two reluctant people who were thrown together and forced to investigate something i did think that this relationship was more natural how they just started working together whereas in seven it was a bit more forced because it's like okay let's force a dinner and we're gonna talk and my wife's gonna get involved whereas this is just two people over the course of investigating this they i don't know the animosity just kind of disappeared and they were mates by the end if you wanted to compare it to an old thing it would be the odd couple not all the president's men Hey, I have seen a limited number of movies and detective movies all get clumped in a pile and compared to each other just because my sample sizes are too small, okay? Jordan has seen 29 movies. The one <laughs> the one that's missing off this list was the Lord of the Rings that didn't make the cut. Okay, I like this film and let me, let me tell you why. This is, I'm gonna out myself here as a little bit of a- You go ahead. A doofus. I have a degree in political science. I studied poli-sci for four years, but prior to watching this film, I had only a very surface level understanding of what Watergate was. I studied Canadian politics and global politics. I really didn't spend any time on American politics. I knew it was a political- Isn't that global? Oh yeah, but but global is not just the US. That's what US wants you to think. But isn't that a large part of it? They're the third largest population of any country in the world. Studying like Russian politics and like Eastern Europe was way more exciting than anything in America. So I picked those classes. But anywho, I knew it was a political scandal involving the Republican party done in the seventies, but really I wasn't intimately familiar with it. So going through and watching this movie it really did feel a lot more novel to me because I didn't know all of the specific details and so it really felt like I was kind of there kind of exploring with them and learning as things went. I imagine it would be a totally different experience though if you were intimately versed in Watergate watching this. I don't know if it would have the same effect so while I liked it 
I don't know. It's hard because my perspective, I think, is a little more unique than probably most people who watch this film, especially in the 70s when it was brand because brand new. Because people have a worldview? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so exactly. It, it boggles my mind. I forgot the Oda-Pali side degree. That is amazing. <laughs> Shocks me every time. <laughs> but this movie was the uninteresting part of Watergate. It literally was how to do investigative journalism in the early 70s. Yeah, when you couldn't just Facebook people and go, oh, he's lying. He wasn't there. He was uh, he was in Cancun. It made me so thankful for Google. Yeah, no doubt. When he's going through all of the phone books and you're like, oh my God, just Google the dude's name. Yeah, <laughs> or, but then when the one woman's like, oh yeah, he wrote some books. It's like, that would have just popped up if you could have typed him into Google. Yeah. Oh, he's an author. I feel like any detective story you do in the modern day has to be some sort of like digital bandit or, or thief or whatever, or some hacker in cyberspace because you these like tradi more traditional crimes like you can't even do an investigation on this anymore there's just so much out there they did an okay job of the invest showing how the investigation could work and it would be a little different today but what i'm saying is it was how to do an investigation investigative reporting in 1972 it wasn't about watergate the end of the movie, the actual really significant things that happened out of Watergate were electric typewriter on the screen. It was so stupid. That caught me by surprise. So that was my problem as well. The movie ended very abruptly. Yeah. So the story obviously was about Bernstein and Woodward and their investigation, but it was also about the Watergate scandal. It was a very interesting story. If you're listening to this podcast, you don't know much about the Watergate scandal, you should take 15 minutes and just read a little bit about it because this kind of crap had probably happened before but this was the first time that a president got caught red-handed and most importantly on tape he got caught on tape and we never even heard about the tapes the tapes were mentioned very briefly at the very end where it was just like oh yeah and then he was on tape so he resigned the end yeah and it's like you got nothing about the impact of the covert like if i watch this movie without any context like why did the president resign because some guys broke into a hotel that's a little shady but like it's not it's not impeachment worthy was it on the west coast or in florida or something some frat boy was doing sketchy election stuff and then those guys broke into a hotel so the president resigned that seems really janky i i agree with you chris i feel like it didn't do a good job of connecting those dots together we never got a link between the president and the crime in the film if you watched it stand alone it's hard to understand why nixon resigned i'm gonna say a lot of things you're probably gonna disagree with here but i thought the ending of the film was completely satisfactory because it wasn't about busting nixon it was about the quest for knowledge and so that's why the climax is the grand reveal from deep throat that yes this is all going on this is how it's happening this is what's happening and so that does wrap up the objective i agree with you it's not necessarily about watergate and it is about watergate but not about watergate in its entirety but it's just focused on this thirst for knowledge and this quest to uncover rock after rock until you can solidify that yes my hunch was right in the first place and this is all true and so that felt like a natural climax for it and solving those issues in the epilogue i had no issue with that and honestly i felt like all the homework i did after the facts i probably watched two hours worth of documentaries i probably read articles for about an hour or so afterwards and it really felt like that was attached almost as a as an addendum to the movie watching experience and i just had a, a great time going through watching the film and then
then going, let me pull this apart a little bit more and learn more about the situation. An eye-opening experience that was fun, educational, entertaining. And maybe it's that we're coming from 2022 and looking at it, whereas when this came out in 75, like it would have just happened. So it, would people need to see the repercussions of it? It might be more interesting to see what kicked it off. How did it get started? When you kind of start with nothing, how are these people to work through a web of different contacts to get to the president and follow the money? I agree with Jordan. Well, I guess I, I can only critique the film through the lens of when I watched it in 2022. I've done that with many other movies on the list. I just finished doing it a couple of weeks ago when we watched Blazing Saddles and I can't go back in time and watch that through the lens of when it came out. I can only look at it now. Some of the problems I had with the movie weren't necessarily content-based, but also filmography kind of based as well. It did a good job of letting you know that the newsroom was chaotic and crazy. There's all kinds of papers flying, there's phones ringing and everything. I feel like there had to have been a better way to do that without drowning out the voices of the actors. I spent a lot of time in this film not being able to actually hear and follow the conversation, partly because audio wasn't great in the 70s, but also because I think some of it was intentional to try and make it sound as chaotic and hard to follow as it was for the reporters back then. And I don't like that. It's like when they do horror movies and they film it so you can't see. I'm going to interject. Let's talk a little bit about the audio design then, because that's a great point. How did you guys feel about the audio as a whole throughout the normal scenes as well as the OST? <laughs> what soundtrack? Yeah, I don't remember any music. Yeah, was there a soundtrack? Was there even any music? I, I woke up screaming to the sound of electric typewriters the day afterwards. Oh, that's part of the audio design. And you, you said you dislike that? Yeah, no, I hated it. I never, I never want to hear an electric typewriter again. Craig, how do you feel about that set of MX Blues you've got going there? That's probably how your wife feels. <laughs> So let me be clear. I don't have a problem with the sounds of the typewriters. I actually like the sound of a typewriter. My problem was that they were trying to do dialogue over the sound of the electric typewriters and phones ringing and people talking in the background and papers being printed out. It made it almost impossible to follow the dialogue in the film a lot of the time. So I normally watch with subtitles, but there shouldn't even be an option in this film to turn subtitles off. They should come on by default and stay there. I watched the first 30 minutes of this film without subtitles and I really felt like I was straining myself to even figure out what was going on in the scenes. And after I turned them on, it was it was an immensely better experience. I understand what you're trying to do. You're trying to build atmosphere and it really works, but it, unfortunately it works at the detriment of everything else you're trying to do. See, I would take that as a strike against. You shouldn't have a movie that like you're sitting in front of, you're five feet from a sound bar and you can't figure out what they're saying. That's fucking terrible. Absolutely, Chris. I rented it on Apple TV and the Apple TV version didn't have subtitles. Oh no. So I had to watch the entire film trying to listen like an ancient human from 1974, trying to listen with my meat <laughs> ears to understand what is happening. You had scammed me. <laughs> and I paid $5 for that crap and I couldn't even not hear the movie. That's disappointing. You should have come to the manor. You might have got COVID, but it would have been free. <laughs> might have got COVID. Might have been worth it. We tested negative. It's fine. <laughs> I think it also has to do with how they structured the dialogue between the two of them because it was very fast paced they were finishing each other's sentences they were able to cut each other's off and I read that they did learn each other's lines to be able to do that but I think that also made it harder to follow because they were just so quick at it not that I'm looking for like a line and line but just maybe slow it down especially when all the noise is going on in the background and you're 
you're cutting people off. I thought it did work for scenes like Robert Redford's on the phone in one scene and then he mixes up somebody's name but he catches himself like that was so natural but then yeah in a lot of the other scenes it was just an added layer for me to figure out what's going on on top of the noise until you turn on subtitles in which case it's great Sarah we need to do a poll to do a poll just to ask our viewers subtitles something you should do to enjoy the movie or a fucking crime against nature Okay. So we're spoiled now because modern audio recording is so good. But honestly, audio recording in the 60s and 70s was fucking terrible. Just fucking pay attention. No, everything's mumbly. Everything's fuzzy. It's like a must do for anything pre-90s. I don't know. There are some films that had good audio. This one was just especially bad. I had a thought because we keep going back to this of the time we always talk about of the time i think the way we should look at this is they made this list in 2014 Mm -hmm. so they're putting it on the list in 2014 that's the mindset that we should be looking at sure so eight years ago because it's not they're they're saying this movie was worthy of going on the list in the 2010s so you need to look at through the 2010 lens instead of the year it came out that's a fair point a modern perspective i mean 2014 is relatively modern anyway but we already know the list is kind of a crock of shit because we've each had at least one or two movies where we watch and go this is fucking awful so i don't i'm not going to say anyone else has to do that but that is the way i'm going to look at these the, the the political the social issues is the 2010s because it was put on the list in 2010 while we're on this point we may as well cover it before moving on this actual soundtrack itself i thought it was really forgettable i listened to it probably two or three times while i was just kind of like perusing reading making notes and stuff like that it really does a good job of building an ominous atmosphere it's very spooky it's very tense but it's never at the forefront i'm gonna go on record to say no bangers it does what it needs to but it doesn't do anything else it's passable at best that might even be generous passable might even be generous It was inoffensive. I have a question for you guys. This movie is based on real events, but do you think this would have any impact or be enjoyable whatsoever if this was a fictional story? If this is a fictional story, people would think it was a fucking piece of garbage. Yeah, I agree. The only hook for this movie is it's about Watergate. Yeah. Agreed. Without that, it's two guys with great chemistry who read a lot of lists and knock on doors. Yeah. So as a follow-up to that, is it okay to use the fact that it was based on real events as a crutch to prop it up as something greater than itself? Yes, but also you have to look at the other way. It left all the good stuff about what happened, all the, the really interesting stuff. I mean, it's, it's creative nonfiction. You have to judge it by that genre. Creative nonfiction is its own thing, and you can't really compare it against other... I don't think there's any other comp- creative nonfiction on this list. So far, this might be the first. Dr. Shivago was arguably... Yeah. So we're saying you want to give a good example, then, of creative nonfiction? <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, Craig said he didn't think that we had seen any yet, but I would say that's arguably similar to what this is doing here. Like, obviously, Dr. Shivago taking more liberties, but it's kind of like a, a story being told based with a real-world backbone. I, I would argue Dr. Zhivago's maybe historical fiction. Sure. Yeah, that's that's probably a more accurate label. I agree. Jordan, you don't know shit. <laughs> I think the, the director stuck maybe too closely to the book then and where he could have pulled in more real world events outside of the investigative newsroom. He limited himself there and that's all we're, we're given. Yeah, that was probably the major failing of the movie. You were just seeing their little myopic view of it. They didn't even really understand that all of the larger issues, right? They basically opened the door for a crack and the information fell through after the fact. They just kept tugging on this thread 
until the whole thing came apart. They unveiled the little bit about Watergate. What actually came with it was this whole network of espionage and shady dealings and whatnot. They just... Which we didn't talk about. Yeah, which we didn't even find out about in the movie. So it was a movie about nothing with no end. <laughs> it was a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say we're in the creative chair then. If we don't feel like that's covered enough about Watergate, how would you suggest tweaking the film to hit more of those important points? Pick a better book than like the self-congratulating book by the people that are the stars of the movie? Sure, if you if you want to be pointedly critical about it. <laughs> what I would say is there was a point in the film where they needed to transition out of the story, just about the reporters from the reporter's point of view, and explain how that linked into and transitioned into this larger discovery seedy underbelly of political corruption and misdealings and why and how that actually ended up with the end of a president's term like because he got re-elected he wasn't a one-term president he was really popular and he won another term not only one, but one with what was it the largest largest victory in like American history at that point? Well, pretty sure George Washington was unanimous, but okay, I understand well, your point. We're gonna be like that. <laughs> Craig Jordan took poli sci, so I don't want to tell a political science guy. His <laughs> Check business, yourself but... before you correct him. I'm just gonna introduce myself, Jordan Costa, political scientist. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what I would have done. I would have transitioned out of the reporter's story and them tugging at this thread and talking to Deep Throat into how it linked into the larger picture and ended up with the fall of Richard Nixon. And then maybe even end with for pardoning him, which is hilarious. Fuck that. You could have ended on a punchline. What kind of beta shit is this? Well, he was the beta president. Yeah, and then he got his ass kicked by who was it? Like Jimmy Carter right afterwards? Honestly, I don't think this film would be remembered nearly as much if it wasn't based on actual piece of history. But I really did enjoy the detective hunt. I honestly think this would have been not a great film, but definitely not a dud if it was purely fictional. I just love that sense of discovery that aha after each twist and twist and turn. And so it puts this movie in a bit of a tricky place. Do you guys want to talk about the the characters themselves? Uh, Woodward and Bernstein? Yeah, sure. I actually really liked those characters. At first, I wasn't a fan of Bernstein's character. I don't think you're supposed to be it, but I what? did like it. I'm the opposite. Well, you're abrasive too, but... So you liked him at the beginning and then you decided not to like him? No, no, no. I just felt like I, he was always more interesting than Woodward in almost every situation. I was interested in him. I just didn't like him. I was like, this guy's a dick. And Woodward had a, an interaction with him where it, he kind of had the same thing because Bernstein had stolen a, a draft off of Woodward's desk and gone and done up his own version. And one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is, I don't mind what you did, I don't like the way you did it. When he snuck the draft off of his desk and like subtly behind the scenes was kind of making his own version of it instead of going to Woodward and saying like, look man, you're fucking that up. Do you want some help? <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, that was a little sneaky. Not to call out two real people though but in general i thought our characters were kind of shit other than advancing the plot, it really feels like they could be interchangeable by almost anyone. Their job is to detect and to discover, but really we never learn a lot about personal life. Their interactions almost seem really surface level. 
I did get a little bit more out of Bernstein because his excitement or the actor's portrayal of Bernstein, he got really excited and giddy and watching him learn something new, I thought was really fun and I could derive something from that. But other than that, there was nothing really deep there. And I felt like Woodward himself was extraordinarily flat. I think he's supposed to be. Woodward's a newsman, right? He's the guy who gets on TV and says, tonight at 11, there was a horrific shooting at a grocery store nearby and 11 are dead. More coming up shortly. With no emotion, like a terrible friggin' event has just happened and he told you with a straight face. <laughs> I think that's the character he was supposed to be. But then you do see it when he's on the phone call and he gets flustered. So you do see that change when he gets excited because he goofs up the person's name and that. So I do, you do see that change with him. And then even when he's bouncing between the phone calls on a different scene too, I think you're wrong, Jordan. You get a little bit of it, but I don't think it's enough to really develop a real attachment to anyone other than who I think is actually my favorite character, Ben Bradley. He's not the editor-in-chief. He's like an executive editor or something like that. Yeah. But he is stuck between a rock and a hard place. The other execs are like, what are you doing chasing this down? If you're wrong, you're going to ruin all our reputations. The paper's going to be screwed. You can tell at his core, he wants to know the truth and he's a newsman and he loves the latest scoop and he he believes in his guys and so he's he sides with them. Him kind of coming through for our boys here and and overcoming that pressure and really digging his heels in, I thought was it was fun to watch his scenes. Everyone should be lucky enough to have a boss willing to go to bat for them like that guy went for Bernstein and Woodward. Yeah, he's a Chad. He is my second favorite journalist in media, right behind J. Jonah Jameson from <laughs> Spider-Man. My gripe is that the publisher of the Washington Post who pushed the story, who made sure Bradley was on it, was completely cut from this. She was like one of the first women publishers, Catherine Graham, that John Mitchell threatened her. Bradley printed that in the paper because she was so on it and so pushing this story. And then that was just left. No mention of her. John Mitchell's threat was, Katie Graham's going to get her tit caught in a big fat ringer if that's published. But then she forced it. She made Bradley publish it. But there's no mention of her in this story. It's just all the men who are pushing it along. Sounds like 2014 to me. Yeah. 2014 was pre-Me Too, right? I think so, yeah. Me Too was started to proliferate in 2014. That was kind of like the era of Me Too, if I remember Because of this list. There you go. (laughs) Because this movie was on the list. It started. (laughs) Jenna and I were talking about this other day, and she's like getting into like more pop music, and she's listening to Megan Trainor, and she has a song that came out in 2013 called Me Too, but it has nothing to do with that. And I almost thought it was kind of like getting on the bandwagon to try and capitalize on SEO, and I thought it was almost in bad taste really quick google me too started in 2006 that doesn't sound right dude because i graduated high school in 2006 it didn't reach any sort of mainstream zeitgeist until at least 2013 my other gripe is that one of the main sources is just referred to as bookkeeper the one who was able to point where the money is going tell everyone where woodward and whatever the other guy's name is came out and said she was the bigger source than deep throat like she just didn't have a cool name the one that cracked down the whole brick wall and cracked the whole case is bookkeeper number one (laughs) yeah and she was never anonymous she wanted to help because she didn't think the fbi was doing enough i was actually gonna ask you that was she an anonymous source and maybe they just didn't want to misname her but she was a she was a named source eh? she's a named source yes bookkeeper and that's what she's credited as in the movie too unbelievable i would be pissed if i were her in real life going and watching this movie and then being like 
what was the name of that girl who played me? And then you're sitting there watching, and you're like, fucking <laughs> bookkeeper? Are you for real? Yep. So for reference, her name was Judy Hoback, <laughs> not bookkeeper. <laughs> nice work, Judy Hoback. Nice work. Yeah. Good job, Judy. Well done. Get out there, Judy. If you're still around. But that also ties. It was one of my favorite scenes when Bernstein was interviewing her because I liked when he first went into the house and she was in the shadows behind the railing. I thought that was a really nice imagery. And then she comes out and then they have their discussion. I thought it was a little sloppy if she's worried about being seen and she's having him interview her right in front of a window. But maybe they're new to espionage. That's where the coffee table is. Close the curtains and he was gonna drink 23 cups of coffee he had to be at the coffee table to do that yeah but i really liked the light play in the show even in the parking garage with deep throat the parking garage scene was a good scene with deep throat and that's the iconic scene in this movie it's in the simpsons it's in all kinds it gets sampled in all kinds of media is the guy in the trench coat hiding in the shadows in the parking garage Mm -hmm. who tells you to follow the money but was it in spongebob that's a cartoon of record here Almost certainly. <laughs> Jordan's currently furiously Googling to try and find out if it was in SpongeBob. Racking his brain. <laughs> Talking about this girl who played a pivotal role but never ended up getting in the movie. I thought it was interesting that Deep Throat, throughout the entire course of events of Watergate and the release of this movie, was still anonymous but didn't come out until 2005 and revealed that he was actually who he was and this was the role he played and he did it because he was like on his deathbed and he just wanted people to know. Mark Felt was his name. He was number two the FBI. I read that to cast Deep Throat, Bob Woodward, real life Bob Woodward, looked at photos of different actors and he picked what one looked most like him, but he didn't, he couldn't tell anybody on set who it was in real life. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I read that Bernstein's wife figured out who Deep Throat was. She figured it out because she was going over the story with her husband and Woodward had been writing MF in the notes. Which is clearly for motherfucker. Referring to things that he had been said. And when when she asked who that was, Bernstein said, oh, he it's his anonymous source. MF means my friend. And she said, is it Mark Felt? And he said, no. No. <laughs> so she spent years telling people who Deep Throat was and no one believed her for like 30 years. Hilarious that she would try and unmask this guy. Like, what is it to her at this point? (laughs) She should keep her bloody mouth shut. And there was all kinds of conspiracy theories before he came out and said who he was. People were saying maybe Deep Throat was a bunch of different people who had all kinds of different strings of information and they they were just saying it was only one guy to throw people off the scent. And the boards are still out there. You can still read them about these big conspiracy theories about who is Deep Throat. And it's a really interesting thing to watch but she knew she figured it out who Deep Throat was and no one believed her and then she died after Mark Felt did oh, so no. at least she got to be vindicated oh, after yeah. before she <laughs> passed away she got to be see I fucking told you call up your old friends from like 30 years ago I fucking told you it was him you didn't believe me quick question for you guys before we rank this bad boy do you think the pressure generated by the journalists ultimately led to kind of the explosion that was Watergate in the public eye or do you think this was going to happen anyway I did a bunch 
bunch of research and I thought Nixon was way too paranoid, had way too many people he had to pay hush money to that this film kind of overstates the importance of the journalists almost. Uh, I don't know about that. I think there's a bunch of operations in place to try and protect presidents from themselves. And without someone tugging on that string, it probably would have successfully gotten swept under the carpet. But they said that like the New York, like one of the Times was already looking at stuff before they, like they were first past the post, but like other people were looking into it at the same time. Yeah, but you need you need an editor who will print it. You need a publisher with the balls to print it. I, I could be wrong. And maybe I am. I, I'm wrong all the time. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like the stars aligned for them. Yeah. And and it worked out in the American people's favor. Maybe it worked out in their favor, maybe not. Nixon wasn't a terrible president. He did set up the EPA. This is not the time, Craig. <laughs> I did read that. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Only Nixon can go to China. He opened trade with China. And well, he opened trade with China. He started the EPA, and then Gerald Ford tripped and fell down like three times. Oh, he fell so many that times. That was the end of his presidency. Before we rank this movie, Sarah, do you want to hit us with some of your facts? Who do you think currently owns the Washington Post? Trump. Elon Musk. Uh, I think it's Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos. Oh, no. I knew it was some hoity-toity rich dude. And then we had two jurors from 12 Angry Men in this movie. Jack Warden, who was juror number seven, the one who needed to get to his baseball game and had to leave. He was one of the editors, as well as Martin Balsam, who was da -da -da -da, Craig Moore, juror number one. Hey! So he is actually the first actor on our list who has appeared in three movies now. Everyone was tied for two. He's broken ahead now in the lead for this, 12 Angry Men, and apparently he had an uncredited role in On the Waterfront, and I'm counting that. Well, that's cool. So I think maybe we should, uh, once we're all done, figure out who the best actor is based on average scores of the films mm -hmm. in our lists and just like, you know, give them a Twitter shout out or possibly a posthumous Twitter shout out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Well, folks, if you're following along with the YouTube video, there's a link at the top of the description to check out popcornpeeps.com where we have our rankings of all the films we've seen so far. But Sarah, where are you going to place all the president's men amongst the films we've seen so far? Well, it did have aspects that I liked. I liked the natural dialogue. I liked the lighting play. I don't think it did enough for me as a suspense thriller type movie to work its way up too high on my list. So I'm putting it in 19th place below Wally and above Braveheart. I like this film. I like this kind of movie. I'm a big political, you know, kind of espionage, kind of investigation fan. Love the show The Newsroom. Excellent. If you haven't seen it, go watch it after you're finished watching whatever movie we're watching next. <laughs> and so I'm actually going to stick this a little higher than Sarah. My big gripe was that I couldn't understand a lot of the dialogue and I really wanted to. They just needed better sound planning and engineering. This one goes in 16 below Braveheart, but above Inception. How about you, Chris? It's better than Blazing Saddles. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than Seventh Samurai. It's not better than Up. So that puts it in position. Oh, please hold. Math is hard. I believe 24, but I just need to double check. Please hold. A popcorn people will be with you shortly. Boop. We appreciate your call. 
Please stay on the line. Yeah, I put it in 24. Wow, that's pretty low. Yeah. Is that is was it due to audio mostly? No, because I can I can pay attention. Plus, some millennial made me put the subtitles on, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine if we got cursed like Craig did? I would have just paid attention like an adult, and I'm pretty sure I have ADHD. So that's a lot. Says a lot about you, Jordan. No, it was just not good. It was boring. You know what? I, I understand why you're putting it low on the list because Blazing Saddles also didn't have an ending and it's low on your list as well. This had an ending. It was ended in the epilogue. Yeah. So if you were watching it on uh, some of the things that like drop the, you know, you're watching it on a streaming service where it drops it in and you can sort of see like the next preview, you would have got none of that. Yeah. Because it would have no. been this freaking big. <laughs> like it was hard to read even as it was flowing. I need to open my list again. You guys put this movie so low. I had such a good time with this. I'm putting it where I was originally gonna put it. I had a good time watching this movie even before I looked up Watergate. This was a fun time. I am gonna put this movie in sixth place what underneath Inception fuck? and above Fellowship of the Ring. This is not a perfect movie, but once the reporters get a taste of what is lying underneath, it's a gripping ride. It's a little bit slow to start, but I was just as excited to see them uncover each new little nugget of information. Ah, uh, just going through the film. It's like a theme park. It's like waiting in line for the top thrill dragster. Yeah, you gotta wait in line a little bit but once you're on the ride it's a fucking good ride i had no problem with the epilogue covering some later events of watergate because to me the point of the film wasn't ousting nixon it was confirming the truth and i was satisfied with that then watch spotlight jordan maybe i will love spotlight i will check that out i think it does a better job at making investigative reporting interesting i'm just looking at the list what got moved to seven lord of the rings i can accept you putting it in the top 10. i can accept you enjoying this movie but i cannot accept that this movie was was not as good as inception this movie was better than inception no it wasn't oh yeah leonardo dicaprio is one hell of a man i think i take robert redford over him any day he was my faye dunaway oh that's amazing. He made salad dressing in his later years. Wasn't that Paul Newman? Oh, fuck, you're right. Newman's, I know. He was another one of mine. Yes, it's on this list. Yeah, that's a sandwich I'd like to be in. <laughs> Clip it. Clip it. <laughs> oh, Chris, what are we going to be watching in the next episode of Popcorn Peeps? Another movie from my birth year. This is very exciting. Young Frankenstein, which is also a Mel Brooks movie. If you didn't have enough last time. <laughs> I think we'll see what he can do when he's not making a piece of flaming shit. <laughs> Blazing shit, even. Yeah. I feel like that should go on someone's tombstone. Like, look at all I've done when I'm not making flaming pieces of shit. Like, it applies to so many people. <laughs> That's what goes on my tombstone. And uh, it looks like the only place to stream it is on the up package of stars either on crave or on amazon prime just wanted to send out a big thank you to our patreon supporters your support is never required but always appreciated and without further ado i would like to personally thank wilma dick fit no. <laughs> tyler laporte sarah renier frank costa ryan saranen jim walmsley and travis laporte Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Hope you have a great time. And uh, until next time, bye-bye. Bye. 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 Hey, Erica, I bet you think that I forgot to thank you during our Patreon supporter thanking, but uh, I got news for you. I did. The good news is, though, that I'm editing this episode of the podcast, so I can do whatever I want and no one can stop me. So thank you, Erica. Your support is, of course, appreciated, and I hope you have a great time watching the next film.
Here, one sec. Uh, where's my phone? I'm gonna rank mine shortly. Uh, at eight o'clock, these fancy keycaps just dropped, and I'm going to buy them. What are they? Nightmare. Could you get oh some new switches? God. I fucking hate your switches. I can hear them through the. I can hear them through two doors closed. I can. I can hear your switches. Plus, he types with a natural fury too. So it's, it's double. Yeah. I can say that now because all my keycaps are. I just got some silence. Hey, Jen got a new job. Jordan, do you know Jen got a new job? No. Who? Who's Jen? Jen got a new job. Oh. I got a LinkedIn notification. Oh, neat. Guys, the site crashed. Yeah, I gave her a congratulations. I gave her a real congratulations before she left today. Rub it in, Chris. Oh, no, I'm just saying. I didn't put it on. <laughs> it wasn't virtual. Not all of us are cool enough to live with. Yeah, that's right. She's she's a great roommate. Like, probably... I don't doubt that. One of, the, one of my best roommates ever. So if you had to pick one, it would be her, right? Versus... Versus Jordan? Yeah. Jordan, I, like, would have already murdered... Like Had Jordan is alive. Okay. Yeah, like guys, I'm not getting these keycaps. The whole site is fucking crashed. Oh no. Um yeah, today I went out to the mailbox just to stretch my legs because I hadn't been outside in like two days. Uh and I come back inside and I open the door and I close the door. I'm listening to actually our podcast, The Blazing Saddles, and I close the door and I look up at the mirror. So like there's a mirror that's perpendicular to the doorway and behind me is fucking Jordan just standing there. <laughs> I jumped like 16 feet in the air. I, if he had been facing me, I would have broke his nose. <laughs> just lurking. <laughs> just standing behind the door. Weird. I knew Chris was coming and I had to spook him. It was actually pretty good. What I, the fuck is wrong with you? The guy had a migraine. Yeah. yeah. It was funny. Yeah, that, that made him could have stroked out and died. It's like, like the little, um, you know, like you get like some kind of art, some sort of you get artifacts or like with the migraine, it gets much worse. So yeah, like this dark yeah. specter behind me actually was real. It was awesome. <laughs> dark specter. Like having night terrors, but you're awake. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan is now my paralysis sleep demon. Sleep paralysis demon. It's okay. Your keycaps are more important than us. Yeah, what's our time, really? You guys can finish this without me, right? He just has to rank it. If we just say bye, we can. you can cut it in, right? It's, it's nice yeah. talking to you guys. <laughs> bye. This is my bye. Hey, guys, I really like this dynamic better. <laughs> Let's re-record it right now. Yeah. Welcome to Popcorn Peeps, where we judge the top 100 films of all time. I'm your host, Craig Moore. 